again, if you're in any leadership capacity and you're a host of anything, whether that's a meeting, whether that's a video conference and you're in a group setting, that pause, that silence is exponential. It helps the room think for itself. Do you ever wonder? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to live an extraordinary life? Or is that only for people with exceptional beauty, brains, or talent? I know you are extraordinary. But when I look at me in the mirror, well... Ordinary. 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 Ordinary is all I see. Certainly, life has to be more extraordinary than what I've experienced so far. We all feel like this sometimes, but we don't have to. If you believe that your life and everyone's life can be more connected, more inspired, more fulfilling, then you're in the right place. Welcome to this Extraordinary Life podcast. I'm Kevin Monroe, and together we're going to discover life is extraordinary. Do little things really make that big of a difference? For me, being extraordinary is more of a choice. There is something truly remarkable about that. Are you looking for a place where people are more interested in who you are? Who you are? Who you are? Put in the extra in the ordinary. That's what extraordinary is all about. I want to live an extraordinary life. How about you? It's Kevin, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the third episode of this Extraordinary Life podcast. It's been a lot of fun launching another new podcast, my third one, and I'm thrilled to have you join me today for this next conversation on the journey, exploring what it takes for you and me to live an extraordinary life. This Extraordinary Life. I am blessed to know an amazing amount of extraordinary people literally from around the world. And these people, all of these people, have contributed to my life, to what it is, and and to it becoming more extraordinary. One of the things that I want to do with this podcast is always invite and include some of my friends in the conversations that I host here and allow you to get to know many of these extraordinary people as well because I want them to contribute to your life being and becoming more extraordinary. Today's no exception. It's a pleasure to invite you to sit down and join me and the two people who have helped me most become a better listener, a deeper listener. Later in this episode, we'll also include a story from one of my friends who's a member of this Extraordinary Life community, Scott Jones, and we'll hear how today's guest have both helped him on his journey, both personally and professionally. For now, I want to welcome Oscar Trimboli from Australia and Jane Adshead-Grant from the United Kingdom for this episode. Well, I want to welcome you to this episode of This Extraordinary Life, and I am so thrilled. You've already heard me introduce Oscar and Jane, but this is the first time Oscar Trimboli and Jane Adshead Grant have shared a Zoom screen together, and I'm thrilled that it's happening for you on this Extraordinary Life podcast. So welcome, Oscar. Welcome, Jane. 
Thank you, Kevin. And as you can see by the smiles on our faces, it's a true privilege to be with you both this evening. And for Oscar, it's already tomorrow. G'day and welcome from the future. If you'd like to know what your lottery numbers are, too bad. <laughs> well, I already said, but I, I want to say it again so you hear it. I want to thank the two of you for your passion for listening and for the work you do to help enrich conversations and relationships around the globe. And you both know this, but I'll, I'll say it again. I consider both of you as mentors who inspire me to listen more deeply. And I'm excited that we're here sharing this time today. So let's start at a very fundamental place, not assuming anything, but starting by what is listening? And Oscar, I'm going to ask you to give us the first foray into this and then let Jane elaborate on anything she would add different or to embellish. Listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. And the difference between hearing and listening is the action you take. Many of us, we've spoken to many people and whatever we've said to them, they've either forgotten or not remembered and they haven't taken any action. So for most of us, the difference between hearing and listening is the action we take. Wow. All right. I love that. Jane. Yeah, I guess what I would simply add is that for me, listening is a psychological process, you know, of taking in information and considering it and thinking about how it impacts us. And in contrast, hearing being a physiological, um, more of a passive experience. So for example, like Oscar says, for me, listening is very much an active skill. It's something where we need to focus on and to give our attention to, whereas hearing is more passive. And you might hear, for example, the murmur of a fan or the clock ticking silently, or not silently, but you'd hear it gently. So those would be the contrasting differences for me. Well, I love this as a starting point for the conversation. And you've both taught me something that shifted my understanding and awareness of listening. And again, Oscar, I'm going to start with you because you were the one where I first heard this. And that is, who is the primary beneficiary of our listening? Well, I'll give you a dirty little secret of listening. Your job as a listener isn't to make sense of what the speaker's saying. Your job as a listener is to help the speaker make sense of what they're thinking. And for most of us, we can't access that place where we can help the speaker listen to themselves until we first listen to ourselves. So the act of listening doesn't start with a fixation and a focus on the speaker. The act of listening starts with preparing yourself to listen. And most of us have too many browser tabs open in our own mind before we get to the conversation to be helpful for the speaker. And when we spoke, Kevin, you described it beautifully as the monkey mind. And it was the concept that your ideas were swinging from inside your head to outside your head and across your head. And you just needed to get to a place where 
you noticed those ideas without pushing them away. So many of us turn up to the conversation with the last conversation in our head, the next conversation, what we should have eaten for breakfast, what we should eat for dinner, what we should do on the weekend, anything but being present Mm. for the dialogue we're about to engage in. And that's never more true now than when we're across video conferencing because the time between meetings is shorter and shorter. It's a mouse click away from the next conversation. So to lead an extraordinary life, to make a difference when you're listening, you need to start to listen to yourself before you can ever listen to somebody else. So I'm just going to pause there a moment. And I'm going to pause for a couple of reasons. One, I've learned from both of you that when we're really listening, there are pauses in our conversation. There's silence. And I remember the very first conversation I had with Oscar coming back and adding a bit of a warning or an advisory to people up front that if you hear a pause, you didn't lose the conversation. You didn't lose the podcast. We're still here. We're just processing this. Jane, Oscar was the first person, truly, that ever awakened my understanding to these opportunities for listening. You know, I had always thought listening was my opportunity to understand and make sense. And then I got to know you, Jane, and you share that same perspective, that listening, I'll let you elaborate. Oh, I'm with Oscar. For me, listening is in service of the speaker or the thinker. And to your point earlier about that we do, we think in pause, we think in waves, and actually we regenerate in a pause. And I think one of the gifts as the listener is to hold that space for the pause because the listener that's one of the greatest gifts they can give as the speaker continues to share out loud their thoughts or indeed to make greater connections where they may be doing that in the silence. Because one of the things that we've observed is that for every 300 thoughts we have in our mind, we'll only utter 30 of those thoughts out loud. And so therefore, my experience, one of the gifts of and the roles of us as a listener is to hold that space to help the speaker connect more with themselves and their thoughts and their ideas so that they can communicate more clearly and with more courage and articulately because of the capacity of our listening uh, to them and their story. So Kevin, also we've spent a lot of time talking about one-on-one dialogue here, but again, if you're in any leadership capacity, and you're a host of anything, whether that's a meeting, whether that's a video conference, and you're in a group setting, that pause, that silence is exponential. It helps the room think for itself. It helps the room explore a bit further. And many of us don't think about this simple fact. If we are in a room with six people, whether that's in real life or whether that's virtual, most of the time we won't have a deliberate listening mindset to hear from all opinions in the room. 
So one of the things you want to distinguish when you're listening in group settings and your role as the host, and even if your role is not the host, you can play a listening leadership role in the room and just mention to the host, I notice we've heard from four of us consistently, could we hear from the others? And I think listening amplifies opportunities in group settings that we never consider when we start to listen to the voices we don't hear from. Wow, that was a beautiful, I'm still processing that. And I can tell you this, I'm gonna encourage you listening. You may either need to rewind, listen to parts of this, or listen to the whole conversation again. I can tell you already, this is one of those conversations that I will listen to multiple times to receive all of the wisdom that's flowing in this conversation. Oscar, I want to follow up and ask in that, how do we increase the appetite for pausing in a group? A very simple technique that a host or a leader can do to stimulate this is to literally create a pause. So if you think about video conferences as one example of this or a team meeting as one of this, and one of the things I do is 15 minutes in, I give everybody five minutes by themselves. Switch off your webcam, put your mic on mute, collect your thoughts. And often I'll set an exercise, discover 25 things about a topic we're either just discussed or about to discuss. And it allows the participants to recharge their listening batteries as a start. The visual stimulus of staring into a webcam isn't the most common thing the human brain is used to. So there's a lot of neural pathway wiring that's going on and our brain is really confused. Of course, we're laying down new tracks on, on a very, very, very rugged path in our mind that isn't used to doing this. So one of the simple things a host can do is to give everybody personal reflection time. That could be inside the room, that could be outside the room. But I find the leaders with the courage and the presence just to pause the meeting and go, let's go and process this ourselves. And in real life or in a breakout room setting, you can bring those ideas back either as themes, if the trust in the group isn't high, because people tend to not offer ideas because they feel their idea will be judged. So if they can offer back themes about what they discuss, so you say, come up with 20 ideas, but break it into three themes, then you can discuss the themes. But I think the other thing is just sharing it in pairs rather than doing it in groups is another way to stimulate the pause as well. So be an architect of the pause because the pause Let's your mouth catch up to where your brain is. Jane, is there something you would like to add? I love the phrase, be the architect of the pause. What a beautiful word picture, Oscar. I do too. And I love this idea of having the courage to have a pause in the meeting. One of the things that I'll often do to encourage more listening is so that we can hear from everybody in a meeting scenario, especially online as well, 
is to hold rounds, you know, to let people know, you know, we would love, you know, the reason you're here in this meeting is to hear from everybody. And so we really encourage from the outset, we want to hear your thoughts and ideas and express how you feel. And so we'll do that by inviting people to share in a round and I'll start by inviting a volunteer to start and then set the direction of the round, either clockwise or anti-clockwise, so that everybody knows they're going to have their time to share. And it also gives people that time to reflect on actually how they may be inspired by what someone else has just said. And so one of the challenges in the group setting is to, when someone else is speaking, is to continue giving your attention and a respect for the individual around what they're saying, rather than simply waiting to make your own reply. And so I think this idea of building in a pause and quiet reflection time just after you've asked a question is a wonderful way to liberate those thoughts and ideas in a group. And like Oscar, I also love to work in pairs once again to eradicate the kind of group think that we can sometimes fall into and share the thoughts and ideas of what the leader or the most senior person in the room is saying or we think or assume they want us to say. So when you break into smaller groups, we find that really liberates the thinking of everyone to then contribute their best thoughts and ideas. Thank you, Jane. Oscar, some of these thoughts you were sharing, I think, may have been amplified in the six months that we've experienced work at home and the pandemic and the proliferation of online meetings. So is there something else that, and we'll start with you, Jane, but is there something else you've noticed about the state of listening through the months of this pandemic? So, yes, and that's been, I think, what's interesting for me is in times of crisis and change and uncertainty, people want more communication. And the leaders that really shine, that have really stood out over this time, are those that recognize we need more communication. But as we all know, that communication comprises both speaking and listening. And looking at the percentage of time that we spend in any communication, normally on average, 45% of that is through listening. And what those leaders who've really stood out are those that engage in even more listening. So in these times, in the pandemic, it's been around senior leaders, CEOs, going out and listening to their team members around their thoughts, their ideas, enabling them to express how they feel. And bringing that back in order to construct a communication of giving a more grounded sense of hope as we navigate this pandemic. And I think the last thing I'd say on that piece is actually in these times, people want to be listened to more than anything. And so the more we can really help encourage our senior leaders to go out there and to listen, to ask some insightful questions and give that space for people to share their thoughts and feelings is really positive and we are seeing more of that certainly i am how about you oscar yeah it reminds me the story of the pirate radio station pirate radio station was created by some staff members in an organization that i was working in recently 
and somebody just decided that at quarter to one every day, they were going to interview somebody from the organization and they would tag the person that they would interview next. And it was a, a lovely example of grassroots leadership and listening. Well, what they did, they just asked them a whole bunch of questions about what music are you playing right now? What are you watching on TV? How has your meal plans changed? What does exercise mean for you right now? What does sleep mean for you right now? And these were seemingly abstract questions, but they were dealing with our most basic human needs. That's where the questions were architected from the bottom of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a lot of us are dealing with. We want security. We want to be fed. We want to be sheltered and we want to look after our health right now. So I think leaders that are listening really well right now are listening for fear. They're listening for emotion. They're listening for anxiety. They're listening for frustration. And what was beautiful with this pirate radio station is that they would interview people and then they added a question in at the end. It just happened organically. What's one thing you need from our leaders right now? And this person said, I need a keyboard because I'm so hunched over my laptop at home that my shoulder has gone into spasm. And the leader of the organization heard them, rang them up and said, just go to the local office supplies, buy that and we'll pay for it. But what happened the next day was the person who was being interviewed becomes the host and they interview somebody else. So it's this game of tag. And they were able to say, after yesterday, our boss rang me up told me to go and buy a keyboard from the local office supply store. So that prompted the question, what do you need from your leaders? And very quickly, this pirate radio station, which was designed to find out what music you were playing, that was its design, became this listening magnet for the organization's leaders to understand what they were missing in listening to their people. And I think that story for me summarizes the fact that leadership needs to be distributed in this moment. Hierarchies fail in times like this because they're rigid, yet in this organic bottom-up and peer-to-peer, -peer, leadership emerges because people are leading and listening differently. And I'm sure there are many examples of pirate radio stations inside organizations and inside families. I was working with a client, a very senior executive in a very complex system. And she was homeschooling with her children and her husband equally had a tough job. And she said, Oscar, honestly, I don't know how to explain what's going on to my kids. I don't know what I should be telling them. I don't know what I shouldn't be telling them what advice would you have? And I said, none. Why don't you ask your kids what questions they've got? Which she did. She had a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-year-old, a girl, a boy, and a girl. And she rang me up two days later and said, well, all my fears have been completely relieved because the kinds of questions they were asking me were questions I'd never thought about. So what we did, we decided to make a game out of it. And every night, they wrote down all these questions and they played a game of internet hide and seek and they had to discover the answers whichever way they did with a partner. 
So the three-year-old was paired with the father, the nine-year-old was paired with the six-year-old, and the mother would go and find the answers to these various questions about what it meant for their vacation, what it meant for holidays. And what was beautiful was one of the questions the kids wanted to know is, will we ever go on holidays again? So they were worried that the questions were about health and death and everything like that. When will we see our grandmother again? That was another question. And they wouldn't have known that if they just didn't take the time to ask the kids what questions they had. So I think now's a beautiful time to listen. And I think, Kevin, there is a huge upside when it comes to listening on video conferences. Everybody thinks it's terrible. We can't see body language, but there's lots of upsides in it as well. I'll give you one really practical tip. Make sure you know the color of everybody's eyes by the end of the video conference. That's a really simple way for you to engage in a really deep and meaningful way and see if you can notice what color eyes each of the participants has by the end. What a wonderful experiment to conduct. I love how you turned the inquiry into a question from this executive. And I'm wondering this, what does it take for executives to increase their interest in listening rather than feeling that the pressure to have all the answers? Jane, I'm going to let you take that one first, if you will. Well, I think that's a wonderful question. And it's one that I witness in some of the senior leaders that I coach. And I think it really reveals itself when you jump into that executive space, perhaps having gotten into a leadership role because of the functional expertise you have. And you're very used to and have been really promoted on the basis of your capacity to solve problems. After all, we're kind of engineered to do that. And so once you get into that executive space, it's really around working as serving the team and seeing how the team can resolve their challenges and create opportunities and shifting that ability to listen and get super interested in what the individuals want, what they're saying, what their thoughts are and where they get, may go next. Helping these senior leaders take a step back and think about what's my role here. It isn't to, to solve everybody's problems. It's rather to enable them to solve them for themselves. And the greatest gift we can give is that deep listening and asking those questions to help reveal for themselves what it is these individuals can do and the steps that they can take. So I think for me, it's about helping leaders recognize, first of all, their role around encouraging others to create opportunities and solve their own issues. So therefore, their role is to be a profound and a deeper listener than before. But to your lovely question around how do they inspire, get interested in someone else and where they're going, to do that, it takes discipline to listen in the way we're talking about and to have um, this profound interest in an individual is, is part of the role and the responsibility of leadership, I believe. Okay, I'm going to pause a moment and I'm going to own something. That uh, just I was going to call you out on it if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just have to. So we have an aging dog in the family. And my wife had been out for the afternoon and the pup was with us. And he was over here sound asleep. And then all of a sudden started dreaming and making these really loud noises. And so 
what I should have done, perhaps I should have done, I said, hey, give me a moment and pause. But I just grabbed my phone and texted my wife and said, hey, babe, can you come get Todd? But yeah, I know that I'm talking to two of the world's greatest listeners, and I know that you knew that my listening was interrupted. So let's talk about this a moment. This happens. Life happens. <laughs> and Oscar, you were, so how are you going to call me out on that if I didn't own up to it? No, I was just going to ask, is everything okay? Do we need to reschedule? <laughs> Life happens. Okay, so I'm going to thread two conversations, the listening conversation, and then this delightful conversation I had with Laurie Cameron on self-compassion and mindfulness. Laurie and I, in our conversation, somebody comes to her door two hours early, rings the bell. She has a big dog. The dog starts barking. And as a perfectionist that, and a podcast host, that troubles me a bit. And I ask Laurie about it. And Laurie just goes, that's how life is now. Dog's barking. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not there yet. So when things happen that interrupt our listening, what are the wise ways to address that? Because Oscar and Jane, you both knew I was distracted. I could not hide that, right? And we think we're pulling it off. But I knew you knew that. So let's talk about that a moment, Oscar. It happens pretty much every time in my consulting with some person who's in a role that deals with complex systems where the equivalent of Todd having an issue that you just had will happen for them. EA will walk into the room, somebody will knock on the door, somebody will call. And for me in that moment, my job is not to judge what's just happened. My job is to pause, let them collect their thoughts, and I simply say, is now a good time? Do we need to reschedule? 99 times out of 100, the answer is, let's continue. But I had a client two years ago who was dealing with a spouse who was having chemotherapy, mm -hmm. and they had to leave. And that is a completely human response. And I think the pursuit of perfection in listening is what, stops people trying to do it because they try to be perfect rather than just be human. Oh my gosh. Let's say that again, because that is, as someone who is a perfectionist, I'm foolish to think there's perfect listening. <laughs> so say that again about be human, not perfect. I love that, Oscar. Make that distinction for us one more time. We are called human beings. We're not called human doings. And too many of us get bound in the task and put a box or a context or a construct around us that says, this is what perfect looks like. And my encouragement is just look at improvement. Let you explore the possibility that you can just be a little better rather than just being perfect because perfect doesn't exist. Mm. Anything you'd like to add to that, Jane? Well, I think it is reality. I think we are always at the threat of interruption. To your point, to Oscar's point, you know, we are living in this world where there's a possibility of us being interrupted at any time. And I think if we can treat the person 
with whom we're engaging with dignity and respect and to give them that space to decide, hey, look, I'm just going to have to take a break for a minute or I can, for some people, for example, in my experience with coaching clients, they can sometimes hit a real nerve within themselves as we're listening or holding that space for them. And so I see a whole range of emotion. And it's to give that person the space for themselves to do what they need to do. And yeah, take that moment. We talked earlier about the pause. And that interruption could be something has just come across their desk or somebody's walked in, as Oscar said, or I'm seeing an emotion that's really come up through, our, through that listening that we've given them. And so, yeah, for me, I think it's being aware as the listener that we are always under the threat of interruption. And that's, that's the reality of life. And as long as we treat the person with whom we are with the dignity and respect is the best way we can be. Hey, we've talked about pauses. Let's take one now to share something special we've developed for you. Here's more on that. And then we'll return to go deeper in this listening journey with Oscar and Jane. Lovely, lovely. You both know that we've recently rebranded this to become this Extraordinary Life podcast. Oscar, you actually made a tie between listening and extraordinary earlier. And I'd love to unpack that a little bit. In what ways does listening or can listening invite or allow us to transform ordinary transactions or events? into extraordinary encounters. Where's that happened for you? I think back to the point we talked about earlier is leaders being conscious of their listening. I think managers tend to look at systems in terms of incremental growth and leaders look at step change. And for me, if you want to look at step change, one of the things you need to get really good at listening for, if you want to make an extraordinary life, if you want to make a difference beyond the words, if you want to make an intergenerational legacy, the question I pose is, how well are you listening to what's not said? How well are you exploring the opinions the ideas that you haven't considered. It's that listening opportunity that's going to move from average to extraordinary for most people. It's what we haven't considered, what we haven't listened to. And more often than not, it's what we haven't listened to in ourselves rather than in others that is going to be the difference in our life. Kevin, just take me through the example of the book that you read, which is an example of listening that we were discussing earlier on about where to focus your energy. It's a good example of how you listened. Hmm. Yeah, Oscar and I were talking about this journey I've been on. He asked what had led to the change with this extraordinary life. And I told him that sometime back I had read Greg McCowan's book, Essentialism. And in that book, he had the two diagrams, a circle with really small arrows in every direction versus a circle with one really long arrow in one direction. And Greg, being a Brit, said, you can make a millimeter of progress in a million directions, or you can choose one and make great progress. And I said, that's what happened to me is I wanted to go all in 
on one thing and see what would happen rather than diversifying my energy in a million directions like I've done in hedging bets. So yeah, listening. I love that as an example of listening. That listening, wow. Okay, my mind gets blown every time I'm with you all. Whether And this is my first time being together with the three of you. I don't know if I've ever really thought of reading a book as listening at that level, Oscar. So. <laughs> yeah, because the act of reading gets you in a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with an author. Mm. Mm. But it invites you into a space mm. that's quite sacred. And it's the opportunity to listen to your own thoughts. See, Kevin, you knew whatever Greg wrote already. You knew that before you read the book. Greg's words just laid out an architecture for you to listen to yourself more deeply and then invited you to make a choice. And it's that moment where you listen to yourself that you honored who you were and listened to your essential truth. That's where the exponential change came. Mm. So for many of us, that moment where we read a book or watch a movie, but we're in a dialogue with ourselves and the movie maker or the characters. It's a silent dialogue, but still a dialogue and we're still listening to ourselves. So I think the tipping point for any extraordinary life is the essential question you want to ask yourself. And if we deeply listen to ourselves, that's where the transformation happens. The answer isn't outside of us, it's inside. I would love to build on that if I may. I think that's just stunning, Oscar. And in the work that I do is I'm working at the deep level of assumptions. And what I discover in working with people is that often what stops us, in fact, nearly all of the time, what stops us accomplishing what we want in life is the assumptions we hold, those that limit us, that hold us, keep us small. And it's when we ask those questions and challenge those assumptions, is it true, this assumption that I'm holding about myself, about the situation, about another, really taking that challenging question of is it true? And often we find actually, no, it's not. We're living this untrue assumption as if it is true. And then when we challenge it for ourselves in that silent dialogue, whether we've read it in a book or whether we sit in that lovely pause we were speaking about earlier, to really liberate us. And in, in my experience, that's what listening has this incredible transformative power to do just that, to you know, be able to be more creative and more courageous and accomplish what we want in life. There's a question I'm pondering, and I am going to ask it. And we live in a very, Oh, I haven't heard the word said this week, unprecedented time. So there I'll say it, right? We used to hear that a lot early on. I think we've grown tired of unprecedented, but we've got three continents represented in this conversation. And I'm curious, are topics and issues as polarizing in your country as they are in ours? Now, you may not know how polarizing, but are issues very polarizing? Well, I know they are in the UK because I see the news from the UK. Oscar? In Australia, are people quite polarized in a lot of opinions and beliefs of what's happening in the world because of COVID? The answer is it depends who you listen to. It <laughs> depends what kind of news you consume. 
or if you consume news at all. It depends is the answer. And I think whether the world is polarizing or not, or whether the media we consume is polarizing or not, and the question I would always ask ourselves is, where is it in our life we are being that, and where in, that, in our lives are we choosing a different way to be? I listened to a beautiful talk by a man who'd created a charity oh, 13 years ago when this tsunami hit in Asia. And he was asked from the stage, how do you bring about world peace? And he said, well, you don't. He says, go home, look after your family. And if every family unit was peaceful, that would have a ripple effect. And I think the same is true for polarization right now is you may be having polarized discussions at home, but are you really listening? Are you really listening to what they're saying? Or do you, are you listening to what they actually mean? Are you listening to what they're saying? Or are you listening to what they're feeling? So I think it's too easy for us to give up our power and project it onto governments and media and Facebook and this and that and the other. And I think as humans, as individuals, as family units, as communities, we have so much more power than what we think. And if we just owned that and, again, made the choice to be what we wanted that change to become, we'd have not only a different outlook on life, but we'd see a ripple effect happen much quickly much more quickly. So I'm making a choice not to be a victim of whatever the polarizing debate of the moment is because the media industry is set up to polarize because that's what sells airtime, that's what sells clicks, that's what sells ad revenue. I consult to these organizations. I know in the deepest bowels of the beast how the monetization engine works. But I think as humans, again, we have a choice. We have agency. We have a decision to make. We choose to influence those immediately around us and know that that will make us better. And I don't want to engage in the dialogue about it's this and it's that and it's Brexit and it's this kind of red versus blue and one versus two. And at the end of the day, you know, a very good friend of mine passed away from COVID four weeks ago. And I know Jack was a very special human who made a choice in the hospital and said, it's more important that the resources used to save me go to people younger that are going to have a life. That's the example I want to remember. I don't want to remember <laughs> in the UK and Australia, Kevin, we call it the fish and chip wrappers. The news of the day becomes fish and chip wrappers and goes in the bin. And that's how I think about what's polarizing right now. It's a probably a different answer to what you're expecting. And for me, it's own our power as individuals, as families, as communities, rather than giving up our power to institutions that are there to serve us. I want to lean in. I love the answer, Oscar. And I'm not sure how many people listening to us, choosing to listen to us, are polarizing people. But if you find yourself being tugged on by someone that feels quite opposite from you or you feel drawn into that conversation. I loved your point, listening to what's not being said. Before Jane joined us, you and I were talking and I made the comment that one of the things happening here is conversations on either side are fueled by fear. Hmm. That's troubling to me, you know, because people are giving into fear. So 
in troubling times, how can we maybe be an ear of reason rather than a voice of reason? Who wants to tackle that one first? I was giving it to Oscar to go further with what you had said, but Jane, if you want to weigh in. Well, I'm happy to share, maybe controversial, but my contribution to this lovely question you asked is I wonder if there needs to be such a thing of polarization and I share it in this way because for me rather than polarizing what if we were to be more interested in that other view to go to that party with an interest in our difference and to celebrate our difference and so what that looks like is the courage it's the willingness to show up in a conversation that says you know I'm open to listen to your side of the story Oscar mentioned Brexit. I mean, that was one of the huge things that happened here for us in the UK that everybody was completely shocked about. And in and households, my own included, my husband voted one way and I a different way. And what that enabled us, we had the most engaging conversations. I was so interested to learn why he wanted this and why I wanted that. And for me, therefore, this sense of polarization was reduced because actually we both come to the conversation and I invite others to do the same is to enter a conversation, to learn more about somebody's view. And it doesn't mean to say that I have to accept it, but I can acknowledge it and I can appreciate that that is your view. And I think that is what helps families and organizations grow and have less polarization because actually if we learn and be open and willing to learn these different perspectives, that's what's going to help us move forward, finding a way forward in the way that we find well today. Kevin, last year I was interviewed in September in the US by somebody who was going to a Thanksgiving dinner in a couple of months' time. And they said, Oscar, I always have this uncle. He has the same opinion. He shares it over and over and over again. And it's a different opinion to mine. Uh, what do you say? And I say simply ask two questions. When did you form that opinion or how did you form that opinion? Uh, that completely changes the dialogue. It builds on what Jane did with her husband at the dinner table, understanding the differences. Polarization only exists when you're in a state of judgment. Mm -hmm. Polarization means that the weight of my idea trumps the weight of your idea. You're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, whatever that is. That only exists in a place of judgment. And the curiosity to give somebody your attention to listen carefully to when they first form that opinion. I was having a conversation with somebody who runs magazines for family-owned businesses uh, at the beginning of this year, and there's a lot of intergenerational polarisation in family-owned businesses. And again, I mentioned to her, because she works with these owners and their children, and this issue comes up often. And one of the issues that came up in an example she was talking about was the founder was very cost conscious, extraordinarily cost conscious. There were three generations of adults in, in this family business and the third generation could not understand the cost consciousness of the business. And she came back to me four months later after she ran this group and she asked them to ask the question, when did they become cost conscious? Well, the grandfather grew up with parents who went through the Great Depression. They didn't throw anything out. They recycled everything. And once the grandkids understood that, it was no longer a state of judgment. It's just a state of, mm. oh, 
now I understand. Mm. And whether it's that moment where Jane's sitting across the dining room table from her husband and asking how that opinion was formed, or the three generations in a family-run business, or <laughs> they call them the grumpy uncle at the Thanksgiving table. The, the, the postscript to the grumpy uncle story is when they discovered how this person formed their views, they were formed during the period of the Vietnam War where he lost friends. And they didn't know that story. And all of a sudden, judgment was suspended and they understood where they were coming from. Mm. It also stopped that grumpy uncle telling the story for the rest of the evening that was that broken record that he told at every Thanksgiving. All of a sudden, he told a beautiful story about a friend he lost in the Vietnam War and they spent that evening understanding what those times were like. And it, and it became what Thanksgiving was about, was giving thanks those of us we know and those of us we've lost as well. So just ask those two questions. When did you first form this perspective and how did you form this perspective? And the conversation will be very different as Jane discovered. I love the practicality of those questions, Oscar. We ask people from this Extraordinary Life community, were there specific questions they wanted? answered. Hedden from Iceland, we've already answered one of his. He wanted to know the difference between listening and hearing. You've already discussed that. You've discussed when there are multiple people in the room, even if that's a virtual room, but Hedden went a little further and talked about what about when there are people from different countries in the same room together, talking together, and are there different things to have in mind about listening and communication when there are different cultures, different languages, non-native English speakers as part of the conversation. And I'll direct that to Jane first. Sometimes we find ourselves in a room where people have different accents to ours. And my invitation is to not let that be an excuse not to listen. A tip I would offer there is simply to ask an individual to speak more slowly so that we can listen clearly to what they're sharing in terms of the message and our enhancing our communication. And I think I'd just say one extra thing about working across culture, that in some cultures, and it may be as simple as our own family cultures, one of the barriers to listening could be that when we're growing up in a family, that actually, if you don't raise your voice, if you don't speak loud enough, you simply are overlooked. Whereas there'll be other cultures in which you are positively included and encouraged to share your voice. And so for many of us, we will have been role modeling our own capacity to listen and communicate well in the environment and the culture with which we've been grown up. And so my invitation is to ask for the space and because people are speaking loudly or taking all the airtime is to ask, would you be interested in my thoughts? I've got something I'd love to share with you. So not be afraid to put yourself forward to, to share your thought. Those are a couple of things I'd offer. I'll approach it from a different cultures as in different races or different nationalities. And one of the things you want to be conscious of, particularly when it comes to the word yes, 
So you may pose a question to somebody and their answer may be yes. So the question might be, so given where we're at, thinking about the approvals on this, where are you at? And someone might respond, well, yes. Now in the West, we take that yes as a yes, they've approved. Whereas in the East, in high context cultures here in Asia, China, Korea, Japan, what they're saying is, yes, I just heard your question. <laughs> but most of us jump to the conclusion that that yes is something that is an agreement. Silence is used very differently across cultures as well. People interpret silence, East versus West, very differently. People interpret questions that are personal in nature very differently across cultures as well. So the thing you want to explore when it comes to a conversation that's across culture, a really practical tip if you use technologies like video conferences and you're the host, and even if you're not, encourage people to turn closed captioning on. It gives them a second chance to hear what the other person said when it's not in their language. So whether it's Google Hangouts, all these products now offer real-time closed captioning. And a lot of people quite, well, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that's possible, but it gives you a second chance. And I turn that on in native English speaking conversations as well. It gives me another context. The other point I would make, Kevin, is to say that at the beginning of the meeting, there are people from many cultures and whether we know this or not, we all have accents. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> what our accent is compared to anybody else. We've got an accent and to have a conversation about how we're going to conduct the dialogue, a five to 10 minute investment about, we have people from many cultures here, English as a first or second language, people who might or might not understand the context of the technical aspects of what we discuss. Having the conversation at the beginning is a wonderful investment because the alternative is we spend 50 minutes discussing something and we are more confused when we leave the call because we think people understood what we said. And in fact, what they are is being very polite and not ask you the kinds of questions there. So how do you surface misunderstanding in a meeting? Rather than saying to people, so do you understand what I just said? <laughs> it's like, you know, that's not going to be a helpful conversation. The conversation you want to explore might be in your organization, if we did this, how would that look if we were successful is a very different question to um, asking for approval. It could be that simple, but the answer to your original question is and not enough people have that conversation so i'm working with someone in sweden at the moment who has a client in budapest and london and we have deliberately worked with them to set up a listening architecture at the beginning of these calls and originally she said to me, Oscar, this is very repetitive. I said, only for you, not for them. <laughs> and what they commented on at the end of both meetings where this was set up at the beginning, hey, we have people from different cultures, different language backgrounds, 
how are we going to have the conversation? The group solved the problem. How are we going to have the conversation? But they did it real time. They weren't going, well, point one, point two, point three, and point four. What they did was just because they had the conversation, they had a consciousness to go, oh, I think I've misunderstood here and create a safe space for people to dialogue into that. So architect the beginning of that meeting to have that discussion and you'll be surprised what emerges. My friend Carrie Wackelow asked, what are the little things you see people do that help them listen more deeply? Oscar. One of my favorites is Ginger. She's an emergency respondent trainer in a university in the West Coast of the USA. And when I spoke to her and I would ask her a question, she would say, I haven't thought about that before. Just bear with me while I process that. And it was a beautiful listening signal. And it just invited me into a space to go, when she's ready, she'll provide a response. But it was her courage to say to me, just bear with me while I process that. Mm. And what it was, was she was comfortable enough in her own skin to go, I'm not paid by the speed of my answer. Mm. I'm paid for the quality of my answer. Now, remember her context. She trains people who are emergency respondents. And what I mean by that, she trains people in emergency rooms in hospitals. You would think seconds matter. And ironically, she said, it's the decisions they make without listening to patients where they didn't take the time is what costs people, mm-hmm. which was interesting. So Ginger is that little simple hack where she said, just bear with me while I process that was a lovely example of something I've seen somebody do. Jane? And I would love to build on something Oscar shared earlier, which is this idea of judgment. But those listeners that I see mastering or really developing further this deep listening is two things, that they listen firstly free of judgment, to be open and willing to learn more and to be really interested. And the second and critical for me in deepening our capacity to listen is to free ourselves from distractions as much as we can in terms of interruptions, whether it be the notification on our phone or someone coming in or anything that possibly around us to really help show and let that person know that I'm interested in you. At this moment, I'm going to give you my whole self, that total presence of attention this, for me, the key indicators of what people can do right here today is to, number one, resist the urge to interrupt. Number two, to hold back free of judgment so that you can allow those neurons of empathy that will really strengthen your relationship. And as I listen to you, Jane, I am reminded of something I learned from Oscar. It's in the opening chapter of your book that I told you I keep on my desk because I literally pull it up at least once a week and I talk about deep listening, impact beyond words by my friend and mentor, Oscar. But in the first chapter you talked about, and we referenced this earlier, the conversation that's in our mind. And one of the 
tips I learned from you is just simple breathing for a few seconds before you enter that next conversation to quiet the conversation in your mind from the last meeting you were in or what's going on at home or what you have to do later in the day, any of those. So that's another really little thing that makes a big difference in our listening. Well, before we conclude this conversation, is there anything weighing heavily in your heart or mind that you'd like to add to bring this conversation to a close for you at this point? I'll go to you first, Jane. Anything for you? Well, I would love to say something that in our previous conversation we spoke about, and in my heart, I feel that listening really is the currency of relationship. And when you know, I'd love to encourage our listeners to reflect on our conversation today with all of the learnings and to really think about investing your attention and giving this art of listening to those that you love and care. Because when you start from within, and as Oscar said, listen to yourself and then extend this to your family and those around you in your span of care to listen deeply, in my experience, will transform your relationships. And that's what I hope for everyone. I think the opportunity for all of us is just to take right now in this moment, just a little bit more time to nourish ourselves physically, to nourish ourselves with some form of exercise and to nourish ourselves to know we're enough to get through whatever is put in front of us right now. What a beautiful way to conclude this conversation. Thank you both for joining me. Let me ask one more question. If people want to take a next step with you, where do we direct them to do that? Jane? So you can find me on all the social media channels or simply through my website, janeadsaidgrant.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out. If you want to discover what gets in the way of your listening, just visit listeningquiz.com. Take the seven-minute quiz. You'll get a five-page report with an action plan to move you from distracted to a deep and impactful listener. So listeningquiz.com. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Jane and Oscar, thanks for this amazing conversation. And thank you for lingering. You're still here listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before we leave, we want to share a story of how today's guest, Jane and Oscar, have impacted a member of this Extraordinary Life community. I've invited Scott Jones to join me, and then I'll be back to quickly sign us off. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining. On this month's Community Spotlight, I'm delighted to welcome Scott Jones. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining today. You're more than welcome, Kevin. Glad to be with you. Yeah, so tell us, how was it that you and I first connected? Well, I think the gateway was kind of the gratitude. I was listening to a podcast by Marcel Suantes, and Melissa Hughes was the guest, and it came up uh, to talk about gratitude with love and action, and they mentioned the great things that Kevin Monroe was doing over at the Gratitude Challenge. So that was the beginning, and 
It's actually almost a year ago, middle of August of 2019. And then that led into deep listening challenge and the whole perspective of listening, and which was kind of the formal, I guess, introduction because we connected live through the challenge. Yeah. Okay. So I love that, that it was gratitude and you use the phrase, one of my favorites, gratitude is the gateway to so many things. I say it's the gateway to the life of abundance, but for you and me, it was actually the gateway to relationship. You joined us in the September gratitude challenge. And then in October of last year, we hosted the deep listening challenge with Oscar Trimboli. And then later that month, I hosted a podcast conversation with my friend, Jane Adshead Grant, all of this around listening. And Scott, when we were talking, you know, you kind of said, Hey, I'd love to talk about how all of this experiences, this exploration of listening has impacted you. Tell us about that. Yeah, I would say without a lot of thought into it, listening and enhancing my ability to listen is probably the most impactful thing over the last 12 months as far as taking my development deeper. Wow. About a year ago, a little more, I was involved in uh, certification training towards becoming a certified coach and was learning about listening and the power of that, but it was really the deep listening challenge and the episode with Jane, the podcast episode that really heightened or heightened my skills and my perspective of listening, not just to just the basics to understand, but the deeper level of listening with uh, my whole body, even with my whole self, through my heart, my soul, my mind, and my body, to listen with a client and just being present. Uh, the environment that Jane talks about of just being there and too, you know, you highlighted on your, I think for you, it was the first time you entertained never taking notes during a podcast episode. Now, I wasn't as quick to get on the bandwagon because I wasn't confident <laughs> in my ability to really capture the moment. But I would say definitely over the last three to six months, I laid my pen down and just was all in with clients. And I have noticed my connection, which is important in coaching, but more so my ability to hear what is said, what's not said, their emotions, because I'm not distracted by putting my head down to write. And because my, I have the ability to listen and write at the same time, I need to be totally present mm. for whoever I'm engaging with. And it just found that listening has just been the catalyst to help my development even more. So listening has been a catalyst for you in your professional work, your career as a coach. Let me ask you something else. I'm guessing it's also improved personal relationships as well. You want to talk about that a moment? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Easy ones with friends and engaging with, but I would say probably in my marriage, being able to listen because male or female are different. Not wrong, just they different. I've been able to pick up on things that my wife says or does not say because I'm a better listener to pay attention. Mm. And so that definitely in my marriage and with my kids had to home extended periods for COVID 
and which I would not have been able to spend that much time with them because of that, but it's been good to help refine the listening through conversation uh, just to perceive what's going on in their hearts and in their lives. Wow. Well, Scott, is there anything else you want to add to our conversation about you and your listening journey? Highlighting again, I would say probably for sure in the last 12 months, this has been probably the skill of all of them in relationally that has meant the most to me. And it's also something that I can offer to others. Hmm. Because yes, we're listening more for ourselves, but reality, you're honoring the person you're interacting with when you're a better listener. When you can repeat back to them what they said and you get it, I guess, not as much word for word, but the intent of the spirit of what they were saying is you just create that deeper level connection with others and you just add value to them. And yeah. so, yeah, again, it's meant a lot to me, but it's been more, more impactful for the person I'm interacting with that I'm listening to. Well, I think this is one, for me, one of the biggest takeaways from my involvement with Oscar and then Jane is that listening is more about my opportunity to serve the person speaking than it is for me to understand what I thought I heard them say. So I appreciate you bringing that up, right? That all of us have the opportunity to serve others through our listening. And I'm delighted that, first off, that gratitude was what allowed us to get introduced. Listening is what allowed us to connect and become friends. So thanks for joining today. Thanks for sharing your story. Anything you want to say before you, before you wrap this up? Well, just to, what, something you said there reminded me is that I met, we mentioned Jane and the podcast episode. And because she stayed plugged in with our community, just how she shows up and honors value back to who she's listening to, she has been able to model and been a great teacher, not by uh, instruction, but by example on how she listens to everybody she engages with. So watching how she does it and how she's modeled it has really uh, been impactful for me. And this is the beauty and the value of community is actually getting to know people up close and personal, seeing this in action. And Scott, there's something I just have to believe about you, that you, because of this, are modeling, listening to those clients you serve through your coaching. So as Oscar is prone to say, thanks for listening. And thanks for joining today to share your listening journey. My pleasure. I'm wondering if there's something you heard today that will take your listening as well as your life and your leadership from ordinary to extraordinary as it did Scott's. Let me share what I'm already doing. It's inviting people to embrace and explore silence while on Zoom calls. Yeah, blanking the screen, muting everyone, and inviting people into a few moments of quiet amidst the chaos and the clutter of the busy life we all live. Contact me. You can drop me a line, Kevin at thisextraordinary.life. That's Kevin at thisextraordinary.life. 
Or you can WhatsApp me, text me, or call me at plus one four zero four seven one three zero seven one three. Will you join me and do something to explore, embrace, and express this extraordinary life today? I hope you will.